So I just uh, freaked out at Xander and Dominic because Xander's playing with a like a baby mob mobile that he's making into some kind of marionette. But anyway, um, can you stop, please, just for a second? Sorry, not the listener, the people in the background. They can hear the crinkling of the foil. Can you stop, please? I beg you, please. So um, this episode starts with me talking on $8 headphones with a built-in mic. So you can't really hear me clearly, but it's funny. And Dr. Friesen says some funny stuff, so uh, enjoy. Uh, And don't worry, no Xander or Dominic was harmed in the making of this. I just was trying to get you to hear me, but you also heard me freaking out. But I'm not freaking out that much. I'll take a deep breath. It's like a mini meditation. You want to say hi, Xander? Hi. I'm on a podcast now. Okay, starting in a few seconds with Dr. Friesen. Don't mind the weird muffled noise. Welcome back, Doctor Friesen. <laughs> thank you for have thank you thank you for having me, Ader. <laughs> it's appreciated. Um, I'm I'm using a mic. Does it sound different? It does sound different. It's um, it's a little bit um. It's not quite as live, <laughs> sounding as as um before, but it's like I can hear you just fine. Okay. Well. I guess we'll find out after. I'm using yeah. $8 headphones, so I feel like <laughs> we'll, we'll see what that means. I can't uh, wow. I feel, I felt okay buying them, though. Like, for once in my life, I felt comfortable purchasing these headphones because they were $8, and I was like, if I break these tomorrow, it's fine. If that's right if biscuit eats them biscuit's our dog by the way she's some kind of pug boxer you know i'm actually having a little difficulty (laughs) i'm having actually a little difficulty hearing you like it's not it's not it's not as clear i think it's um okay let's let's make the eight dollar headphones disappear Is it the headphones or the microphone? While Hater's gone um, and we're still recording, I thought I would, you know, mention some things that I've noticed about his behavior. Um, he's a super cool guy, actually. <laughs> I can't, I can't make up anything. He's just a really cool, down-to-earth guy that, um, um, for whatever reason, enjoys listening to what I have to say, which is beyond me. <laughs> but as long as he keeps inviting me back, I'll keep talking. So. Um, and I totally appreciate his devotion to these $8 headphones. Well, maybe it's an $8 microphone, (laughs) 
but he sounded like he was stuck inside um, one of those extra large shampoo bottles. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm still laughing because last... <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you said I sound like. You sound, said I sounded like I was in one of the big shampoo bottles. Yeah, I said it sounds like it's like it's like you know when you buy these really like Costco brand versions of shampoo and it and it you got a lot of shampoo but when you're done you have this giant plastic jug and it sounds like you crawled inside you shrunk yourself down crawled inside there and started podcasting. From. I mean, really, <laughs> it's not it's, good. <laughs> It seems Not like good. such a such a specific soundscape <laughs> to imagine that oh, I can't maybe. even says a lot, but I don't know what it says. But I think another person would have said something else, but you made either the shampoo bottles big enough for me to be inside, either <laughs> I'm smaller. You have to shrink yourself down. That was that was that was part of the that was part of the whole theory. No, I think it's like <laughs> Look, it, the, the truth is, is like, it really was inaudible. <laughs> I couldn't understand you at all. Okay, like, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't yeah. use them. It's They're $8 headphones with a built-in mic, apparently. But I guess the built-in <laughs> mic isn't so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because I was talking to myself and I was saying, I don't know if he bought $8 headphones or $8 headphones with microphones. Cause I guess that explains everything. I guess <laughs> it's $4 headphones and a $4 mic somehow glued together. Oh, yeah. $7 headphones and a $1 mic. <laughs> yes. Possibly. It's, it, hey, it's the thing. Those are what you'd use if you wanted to not talk to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> If you wanted to pull off one of those, I'm talking to you on the phone and I'm giving you directions to my house, but I don't want you to show up. You would use those headphones and that microphone because they couldn't possibly understand you. Have you <laughs> have you invited people to your house who you don't want to show up? <laughs> um, well, I mean, that, that was kind of specific, wasn't it? Um, I haven't intentionally misled anybody, but I've hoped secretively that secretly that they wouldn't show. <laughs> on a fairly regular basis actually <laughs> Is, was that That's not that <laughs> was that like a thing of the past or do you still ever feel like that mm, no i don't i don't feel i really don't feel that way now no that would i would definitely um um oh my yeah no i, I was much happier alone i'm still much happier alone i love being alone actually <laughs> but um but i wouldn't go that far now I would say I wouldn't intentionally mislead somebody on how not to get here. I just wouldn't, I, I would just be like, you know, more straightforward and not invite them to begin with or discourage them from, no, I, I, I just had friends visiting from Australia not, just a few days ago. And oh my goodness, I didn't realize like, this is somebody that's from the, <laughs> what would you say? distant recent distant past i mean somewhere in between there but anyway he's been in australia for a number of years 10 at least if not more and and he just kind of happened by he literally just rolled up on me while i'm here and i'm sitting on my yoga deck minding my own business and um and i totally 
I, this is what's so strange. I just totally ignored him. <laughs> Not intentionally. <laughs> like, I didn't know it was him. I didn't know he was just getting out of the car coming from Australia. So <laughs> this is so funny because I had, I had to tell him this big, long part of the story, too. But I, you know, so I haven't seen him in 10 years. He gets out of his car <laughs> and he's walking towards me. And I thought, wow, that guy looks really familiar, but I don't quite recognize him. And then when I finally did, it was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad to see you. And <laughs> and it was an awesome, awesome, awesome visit. I was very happy. So like somebody like that, no, I would never intentionally mislead them on, on how to get here. But, you know, somebody else I might. But um, that was more a thing of the past, definitely. I, I was really, that was for their sake more than mine. It's like, you don't, you don't want to be around me. <laughs> I, I think that's how hermit, I think that's her, how hermits start. It's kind of like, yeah, no, you don't want my company. So I'll just retreat into this, that, or the other thing. And it's, yeah, it's totally different now, <laughs> but I just like being alone generally. <laughs> that's interesting because don't, it seems contrary to your poetry almost like the wow. not n the loneliness that you're describing that you thrive in seems to be like some of your poetry is i guess not not all of it some of it is embodies loneliness or like darker emotions but i think there's a lot of like loving reception there like it's very yeah. So then it seems like hard to imagine you isolated, but being so receptive of humans. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, I can tap into that. Um, here's the difference. You know, it's like I can I can look at those. There was a time I wouldn't be able to look at any of that, those darker things, trauma, whatever. Like I can I can tap into that now. I can look at it. I can kind of pick it up and move it around and check it out from different dimensions but then I can toss it just as quickly. Whereas before it would have literally possessed me. And um, I don't wanna, I don't wanna bore everybody with the details, but wow, you didn't wanna be one of those people that <laughs> didn't like me or, or, or wanted to do harm to me. You definitely didn't wanna be that person because you, you couldn't possibly be in my presence. I mean, truly. And I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. You might want to do that. You can do the woman's workshop one day, uh, Hater, and talk with Renata and ask her. <laughs> She'll more than volunteer some of the gory details. But I couldn't be around myself, dude. I couldn't be around me, right? Period. That's it. I mean, so to ask other people to endure it was not fair, <laughs> let's say. Okay, so this is, it's interesting to hear because this is not very, I feel like lately I've been finding this wall mostly in people, I'll just say like male identifying people of a certain age, there's a stubbornness to, I, to admit that they may not be okay with themselves. Mm. Like not not it's even. A, it's a, <laughs> sorry. It's a fatal flaw. It's a fatal flaw of men. <laughs> yeah, but I it's mean, fatal. But where does it originate from? Like besides someone saying something simple like "Oh, that's your ego." That's 
but culturally i don't see where this where does the archetype exist of a flawless man who doesn't admit when he's wrong i don't i can't find it i think a lot of it um well i mean oh, wait i mean it's in the movies everywhere i mean okay fair <laughs> enough okay it's in the it's in the movies it's in the entertainment everywhere but i think i think it generates from I mean, come on, it's the quintessential kind of cold, distant, emotionally unavailable dad who is who is the disciplinarian, you know, and, and at least in where I am, which is the American Southeast, which is which feels like, you know, it's a total spare the rod, spoil the child kind of territory. In fact, in fact, um, <laughs> I had a T-shirt. You know, we're not far from like where the rapids are, where the Olympics are held and stuff like that. We're just okay. like maybe 20 miles from that. And uh, I had a t-shirt, this is years ago, but I had a t-shirt that says, life short, paddle hard, right? It was all about whitewater rafting, okay. getting out in nature. And you, you get it, right? Yes. So uh, one, wherever I was, which was one of these whitewater rafting places, an elderly woman came up and she said, yep, spare the rod, spoil the child. She totally saw that as an endorsement for a physical discipline of children. And, and, and that's, you know, that's now, that's probably a couple of generations ago, but that hasn't died out, dude. That's, that's kind of the way it is. And so who's the disciplinarian? The dad. And, and with that, you know, physical punishment. And with that, they carry that false um, falseness into their adult lives. I mean, I, I see it all the time. And, <clears throat> and I think it's reinforced by movies. It's reinforced by magazines. Like, I mean, if you're not, have you seen the, like weightlifting magazines? Like, if, yes, if I used a, to buy them. <laughs> I used to buy them. Yeah, if you don't have an eight pack and twenty one inch biceps, then you're nobody. <laughs> I, I used to measure my biceps with a tape measure. So yeah well I mean, good times who, good times yeah who who hasn't that's that's all cool it's just like you know don't take it seriously right it's my it's i told you this it's my favorite talladega nights reference like <laughs> son son i was high when i told you that like you can be first uh, you can be second you can be third uh, <laughs> i i love that you quote that and then you're like and now from the bhagavad gita and then it's uh, like <laughs> they're all the same aren't they Yes, which is, we can't, it seems like that's what's missing. And I guess that's, that's what it's, I guess we could slowly lay out the puzzle pieces connecting the, like the ice, there's some level of isolation occurring where the male is the source of discipline and the female is the source of and when here, when I say that, I don't even know what it means. So masculine and feminine, when one is the source of discipline and the other is a source of nurture, it seems like that also changes the identity of God because this idea of God or oneness or the thing or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> the unifying field of physics. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like and anything. I, I, uh, know it, I know it as that which is not. Okay. Yes. So that, th 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 that which is that which well that that is that's what that thing is called. That Shiva Shiva actually means that which is not, and and it makes perfect sense to me because 
before anything has to come this emptiness. And that's what's amazing about everything that we see around us that's being transmitted to us is that it all had to come out of, it all came out of nothing. Nothing is the basis of everything. But but the archetypes back to the, yeah, I mean, but women, <clears throat> women are are the natural goddess and they and they are softer by nature but of course men, yes yeah but, yeah but i guess i mean it shouldn't but through that isolation the uh softness of the feminine is exploited and that's why that's why like on i think a few episodes ago we were talking about where are the women in history like where are their books or Whereas Mary Magdalene's gospel or um, I won't say any specific Islamic figures here, but insert their wives' opinions. There should, I mean, it seems like there's some exploitation going off of the feminine softness and the masculine toughness or hardness to make both sides manipulated by someone. And I don't know who that someone would be, but... We, we do it we do it for them it's like somebody somebody kicks it somebody knocks the rock off the top of the mountain and you don't have to do anything more <laughs> that's what's so awful about this is that you're right the stereotype and that and that that um like precision division between what is a man and what is a woman which is just a complete lie to begin with right that that's the and look at look at nature there is there is no really perfect division between what is male or female which is why we have words like heterosexual and homosexual it's like and then everything in between <laughs> it's because it all exists nothing nothing doesn't exist that doesn't already exist i mean if we see it in nature we see it in people so but that artificial division that's just something that's manufactured to kind of dumb down life and make it simple so people can create more divisions and say, oh, men should behave in this way. Women are expected to behave that way. And then if you push it too far, women are being told how to dress, how to think, how to sit, whether they can or cannot drive, what, what, what they can say in mixed company. And men are expected to, even if they have absolutely nothing to contribute at all, they're expected to be leaders in one way, shape or form. Think about that. And that, and that drives society, politics, and all the societal norms that we've come to accept without thinking, literally digesting, eating, pooping it out, and recycling it again. And nobody ever pauses to ask the question, why is this a good way? Because, because it's not. It's, it, is, it is toxic, I think. No, I, I'm glad we... I'm I'm glad we skipped all the small building blocks and we got directly to the <laughs> the meat of it because I feel like sometimes I mean you you write a lot of poetry and I rant a lot on the internet but it seems like sometimes you just have to say things like think because of the material nature of reality like sometimes statements have to be made but I didn't realize that till very recently. I didn't mm. like my, mm. I've had a fear of definitive speaking maybe because, mm -hmm. because I find that that's like, that's my first red flag when I'm um, like in a meditation class and someone says something, well, you have to, and I'm, Oh no, here we go. 
okay, mm. I'll put my hands on my forehead and eat this apricot <laughs> or whatever weird thing. I don't know. I, but so, some things have to be spelled out, right? I mean, what what is, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the stuff that comes out of me that feels um, kind of driven and almost as much rant as, as it is poetry is like, it, it is the shock and awe of words. I mean, sometimes you just have to read it. And sometimes it takes repetition to hear it again and again and again to finally wake up. Look, I, I look at it like this. I wish somebody <laughs> earlier on in my life you know, would have come along and just sort of, you know, slap me firmly on the side of my face hard enough and say something to me like, wake up, wake up, wake up. I wish somebody had thought enough of me, loved me enough, cared for me enough, had enough compassion to go out of the way and say, you know, dude, whatever you're doing right now is not going to work out for you. <laughs> I wish that. I wish that. So I feel like, I feel like, yeah, sometimes I say things that are really obvious and i feel good i feel really good about saying that the people that really don't want to see it or might be offended by it they won't see it it'll just be words and it'll disappear but for somebody else it may be a rallying cry it's like wow okay i can get behind that <laughs> justice freedom <laughs> love and compassion yeah i can go that i can go that direction oneness connectivity if, community <laughs> so if we take all the the adjectives or the nouns the words that you just used let's say we because i'm so okay let's take those adjectives and nouns and let's say that someone has an hour or two where they have absolutely nothing to do like they have some spare time let's say i have that spare time and i'm okay. trying to diverge from my normal like breathwork practice or um going for a walk or eating some mushrooms or whatever how can <laughs> i explore these adjectives like we've been talking about yoga we've been talking about other things so like what what in your and again obviously i'm asking this pretending like i know nothing which is fine because i I'm always open to starting things like I know nothing again every day because I, I'm completely fine with that. Yeah. That's so, a good way. so do you would like, let's say in my apartment right now, there's like five feet by five feet of empty floor space. And what can I do in this space where I can prop maybe, or someone else could talk about the kind of, and when I'm not using these words sparingly, but they're lighter emotions than, say, mourning or longing or um, suffering. Uh, how can someone bring these lighter emotions into their life? Is there some kind of practice that they can do immediately? I, I, I think self-inquiry, in, self asking yourself questions um you know it, it's it's kind of a workshop uh it, in popular culture it would be like a workshop uh, a self-directed workshop in emotional intelligence in other words <clears throat> i can think of very practical examples you know one thing common to all of us is you have to interact with other people so men in particular is like okay here's a chance sit down Sounds like you're describing a bathroom, by the way, five by five. That's about, that's about all you got. Well, so sit, that's the empty <laughs> space. 
I can also sit on a couch. That's neither here nor there. It's just like that's a really tiny space, five by five. But but you but you have a chance to sit down and ask yourself, reflect on, reflect on your interactions with um, your interactions with uh, if you're a man with other men and if you're a man with other women. And kind of, kind of, you know how you can play back your behavior in certain situations, either good behavior or bad behavior. You could review it in your mind, right? You, you, you get that process. Yes. Yeah. So I would challenge, I would challenge men to sit there and to review whatever recent past interactions they've had with both men and women, and just recognize how different they can be, how different they are. I mean. It's 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 so subtle though, hater. Like our our the the ability to to dismiss somebody that you know or don't know, a stranger or even a friend, the ability to be dismissive is so easy. It comes to us so easily to just it's it's like taking everything for granted. Oh, there's air to breathe. Yeah, of course there'll always be. It's like you can be so dismissive with people that it's it's so subtle that you don't even recognize that you're basically putting people down like I, I I recognize this in myself I here, here's a great example actually the conversation killer that I employed over I recognize this now clear as clear as a bell somebody would let's say there are three people in the room two women and a man the two women would be talking exchanging you notice how women interact very differently like they they are often closer they reach out and they may touch one another there's physical movements involved. There's a lot of eye contact and eye uh, movement. Okay, so these two women are having a conversation. It's a spirited kind of exchange of ideas about somebody, life, general, whatever. And, and you can feel the emotion attached to it. So here's what I would do. <laughs> I recognize it was clear. I would find some way to interject something that was supposed to be funny, supposed to be clever, but really wasn't, it was just a conversation killer. It was like the classic buzzkill. And it's like, if I, I mean, if I, if I wanted to, I, oh, I swear to God, it's horrible. I mean, oh, I God. mean it's, it's really, it's really, really bad, right? And add, add that to somebody who's got this doctor tag attached to them. It's kind of like, ah, oh, man, you can, like, I'll, all I had to do was walk into a room and people would look and then I could say some conversation killer and it would be over. The joy's gone. <laughs> not, not like in a. I don't want you to think that I was just like this, you know, petulant criminal that was out to ruin everybody's day. It's just that the the energy that came with that whole kind of aura of um, air of authority, and then the ability to just be dismissive and turn it all off. It just came so second nature to me. It was sickening, completely sickening. So Sad. And demoralizing and okay wait wait we have (laughs) (laughs) wait i I often i often talk about myself like this the same way you are and then and then it seems weird to the next minute to be talking about uh the oneness that all of our souls come from (laughs) but i think this is one of the and at the sake of sounding again too sure of myself, there are different paths to the same truth. And I think one of the paths, as bizarre as it is to acknowledge out loud, even because I mean, you have 
children who are adults and mm-hmm. i i have a son so anyone hearing this might reenact these things but i feel like one of the paths to actually understanding ourselves is living kind of not the best life like it's it's a surefire way to see the other side whether or not you deviate from that negative path or that painful path i don't know but i feel like even the people i know who are still on that path of self-destruction they know more than someone who is kind of living a more tepid life where they're not really doing anything at all mm. oh yeah i mean they're, they're equally equally abhorrent in the end because they just <clears throat> they're tangential to everything that's important but uh, but of course if if you're kind of bumping up against people every one is an opportunity or situations or or even your job whatever like professional whatever there's always an opportunity to extrapolate something from that and learn. It's just that it's, it's a myth to think that as time progresses, people age and become wise. That's complete and utter and total BS. There are lots of really old fools walking around. Lots, lots of them. I know quite a few. So, so it's, it's, that's a myth. I don't want anybody to think, well, just in the natural process of time, You'll wake up one morning and you'll discover your softer, more feminine side to your toxic masculinity. No, no, I don't believe that. I think that you you have you have to want that and dig it out with your fingertips in the solid ground so you can find find that feminine side because it's buried under a lot of garbage right now. I can guarantee it, and it's all enabled and and and. Um, supported by a network of entertainment and tv talk shows and work work staff and everybody around you is like let's keep this going by never ever pointing out the obvious nature of how toxic this really is i (laughs) i I went a little far there but no it's i think it's good because um honestly i um this is probably a more specific question than a generalized question. But since you mentioned, I won't say the thing again, but you said that there were older people who may not be fully, um, fully matured or aware of things. I don't know what to say, but these people who are older, let's say I'm encountering some of them and they're like in their eighties sometimes, and they're not really, they're not very spiritual or when i say that i don't know what to they're not they don't believe in a in anything in particular or they're not even really sure of physics and but they somehow are willing to accept trying meditation with me so Mm, somehow it's they're saying yes to something then (laughs) yes so uh, yeah, they're saying they're definitely saying yes. Yeah. So it's a doorway for sure. So in this, I guess when have you ever approached someone who is like, uh, maybe I guess well these people are in their eighties, so they're some of them are even dealing with like early Alzheimer's symptoms or even within like on medication and going to memory care types of things. And there, I'm just curious if you've, if you feel like there's a specific 
any kind of um, meditation or a specific modality that would that better suits people who are older in their like chronological age. And I, I don't mean to generalize, but just like if there's yeah. anything to explore, because I've noticed that like very intense, like breath work or pranayama stuff that doesn't really sit well with someone who breathe whose general resting heart rate is so low that trying to breathe at that pace is just physically too taxing let alone allowing for any kind of thought yeah i so i i don't know you know and here's here's the deal with meditation we we use that word like we actually know what it means yes i i that's why i don't even know how to speak anymore how can once you know and you know what i'm talking about how can we speak in this language because this language is not adequate to express anything i don't even know how to talk about colors anymore it's really not i have to admit I but just... let's just but let's pretend for a minute that we understand that that we agree on what that even means. But um, you know, I don't think there's anything specific. Obviously, you know, you you if you're really talking about that kind of population, here's what's interesting though is like now you're talking about the extremes of age because when people do get into their 80s, then they often like a lot of this stuff falls by the way. It's like you either have to wear them down or it just falls by the way because the utility of it is gone. Like they recognize, I don't need to carry this stuff around in my head anymore because it's not serving any purpose. And and lots of older men develop a kind of a softer, more feminine side because they can they can kind of just, you know, shake that, shed that skin <laughs> that's done them no good. So if they're even entertaining the idea of meditation, then... Um, you know, you you probably are familiar with all these studies that were done with kind of mantra-based meditations way back when. At Harvard, they called it the the relaxation response, and they used the word one. Or if somebody if somebody happened to be Christian, they would say you can say amen or amin or even om. <laughs> They're all the same thing <laughs> when it gets right down to it. But basically, they would they would let people just play with kind of a repetitive mantra, and then ignore the breath. There's no breath work. Just ignore the breath. Just let your breathing, let your breathing be. And then simply, as you become more mindful, you can follow your breath. You can notice your breath, but don't ever try to control it. The very opposite of kind of pranayama. So, but I would say a mantra-driven meditation that is a word that is you know abstract enough that it doesn't carry them off on some stream and then teach them the mechanics behind it right it's like you repeat this mantra and it's it's invariable by the time you by the time you recite it the third time your thoughts have already drifted away to something else so it's not forcibly bring them back it's like all you want people to experience in meditation i think when it gets right down to it is to recognize that these thoughts are bubbling up spontaneously out of a part of the brain that they don't even know exists. And it's creating thoughts, whether they want it to or not. And their only job is to, if, if you, if you want to be dismissive, here's the place to be dismissive, be dismissive of those thoughts and let them go. Cause if you can bring anyone to the place where they can sit long enough, still enough for enough time that they recognize that these thoughts are just coming out of nowhere, then you brought them one step closer to, I am, I am not this body. I am not even this mind. 
and that that's a that's that's a very powerful phenomenon. I that's something I learned way back, like 1975, way back, with transcendental meditation. It was kind of like I I for the first time recognized this phenomenon that these thoughts are just they're just they're out of control. They're just going wherever they want to go, and you're not forcing them. You're just paying attention, and recognizing that. And when you're with, I'm, I'm honestly, actually, when I ask this, this isn't like, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is a good question prompt. The person I'm gonna, I'm specifically <laughs> talking about who's like over 80, because my, I actually now have a in for meditation who's weird, I should probably ask more about this, but there's like, cancer involved, there are tumors involved, it's very there's a lot involved so we should i'll i'll get i'll get permission to talk about it first just so i know but but it's very it's it's interesting um oh it's it's it is it's a perfect look it's the ultimate in pain management we we sense like if if they have pain discomfort for whatever cause but cancer in particular it's it is a relentless pain by the way it only everybody goes to bed to get relief not cancer patients they go to bed and expect more pain so it is, it, is, it is the perfect modality because the pain exists in your mind, even though it may be come from, coming from a tumor in your lung or your liver or wherever, the pain only exists in your mind. And it's the physical tension associated with that chronic pain that's going on in the brain that if you can let the body go at all, then the pain threshold becomes so high that it takes much more pain to make people feel uncomfortable and their quality of life goes up really really rapidly like i mean in one session rapidly it's kind of like they're motivated once they once they click into oh wow if i just sit quietly with my hands folded right hand over the right palm over the left palm and just sit there quietly and pay attention to these thoughts it's like it's like instant pain relief instant pain relief because you have zeroed in on the phenomena that's transmitting the pain like take receiving it from their body and putting it in their brain now you've given them the master switch it's like i can turn the volume down i can turn the volume some people are you know how some people are kinetic learners and some people are visual learners for some people it it may totally depending on what they've spent a lifetime doing right they had to do something so whatever they spend a lifetime doing it's like if they're visually oriented take that knob and turn it down it's in your mind just turn it down just visualize that knob going down and then pain goes down with it. It is so powerful. It is so powerful and empowering because they're learning, they're learning something immediately that is otherwise is so nebulous, right? Who wants to touch that? Not psychiatrists, not neurologists, not pain management people, <laughs> not surgeons. Nobody wants to go there, but wow, you can help them dial in that phenomenon and if they can experience it two or three different times, it's it's almost unforgettable. Okay, question. Now that we're getting into specifics, since this is obviously anyone listening, Dr. Friesen is obviously a medical practitioner. What we are speaking about is not medical practice. Is it? Uh, Maybe. It is, in my, it is It is. to me, but no, it's not. It's yes, not. I, just, I just want anyone to know that I don't fancy myself some type of yeah, I, yeah, I sound very specific, and I yes. sound like I'm dispensing medical advice. But you, but but know this, by the way, <laughs> if I know this, like the preeminent cancer center 
in America, MD Anderson, basically, they, they teach Tai Chi, they teach forms of meditation, and they're, they're very much um, incorporated into people's treatment regimens. So we're not like, we're not way out in left field or anything here. This is, this is more like state of the art well, pain management. Yeah. Yes, I think I think I asked to preface my next question, which was when a so when you when a person wakes up and has their like a everyone's day is different, especially depending on where you are in the world, socioeconomic situation, the whole thing. But is there a time of the day where the human body is is um, I guess in a like in our biological chemical sense, are we better configured to explore our mind at a certain time? Not necessarily. Obviously, we can meditate at any time to regulate. I'm not asking about that, but rather, is there a time that's better for exploratory stuff? Like uh, some people say that if you're trying to a lucid dream or astral project sometimes waking up right like right after you wake up trying to go back to sleep and then doing things like that um your brain performs differently so is there a time in your mind that's better to meditate or attempt these things uh, there there's a there's a strong and i and i don't i'm not even going to pretend to understand it all i mean I, I can i can talk about any aspect of medicine but there are strong yogic uh traditions that talk about 3.30 in the morning, six o'clock. My routine is six o'clock in the mornings, anywhere between 3.30 and six o'clock and then six o'clock in the evening again. So, you know, there is there is practice that, and then midnight. So there's practice that can be done at 3.30 in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, sometimes noon, but never in the heat of the day, never when it's really hot, that's a mistake. Six o'clock in the evening and then midnight. Those are all kind of considered optimal times. and 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 then even even the time of month, like yesterday, I have this picture, by the way, because where my yoga deck sits, I can, I've got the sunrise. And on this particular, on this particular morning, <clears throat> the sun was rising with Mercury above it and Venus directly below it. I, I think they were in conjunction. And at my back was the moon with Jupiter, in, in conjunction with Jupiter at exactly the same time, this planetary alignment. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not, necessarily plugging astrology but there is definitely there are definitely definitely planetary influences that especially affect the more subtle or nuanced states of consciousness and so as a general rule six in the morning six in the evening midnight if you're if you're up and that's what your schedule allows and 3 30 in the morning and i know i know for a fact either like when things were changing so rapidly rapidly in my life it was like I was up at three thirty in the morning. It was it was it was not. I didn't. I I wasn't. I don't ever set an alarm clock, but I haven't because I've been on call for thirty years. But but I was like awake at three thirty in the morning, and I had to be outside doing yoga. It was it was almost like a drive, and not not a weird compulsion compulsory drive. Just like I could tell, like I was so in sync with it, I could feel it pull me along. And then it became, and then, and then it kind of evolved into somewhere between 3.30 and 6, 6 in the evening, so on and so forth. So 
I think what I think what the there by the way, there's something physiologically that goes on at three thirty in the morning. That's typically when that first phase of cortisol release occurs. Like your body begins releasing increasing amounts of cortisol at three thirty in the morning and it 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 tends to peak on average at about eight o'clock in the morning. So you're kind of in that window of your body naturally waking up, right? Because cortisol is the quote stress hormone. It's what allows you to kind of just bump up against stuff in life and not lose your mind. So, um, so that I understand that physiologically, but there are really strong yoga traditions that I know almost nothing about other than some of these times a day that I think are facilitators. In other words, if, if you're trying to work with this kind of nebulous part of your being, then use everything you possibly can to your advantage. Now I would flip that around and say for anybody that's a beginning meditator, the time the times you don't want to meditate is when you feel really sleepy because you'll just go to sleep, <laughs> which is not bad. It's still refreshing, but it's not it's not going to get you where you're trying to go with your meditation practice. So, anytime you're not going to just immediately fall asleep, but the optimal times six six and three thirty in the morning. It's it's interesting when you said three thirty. It kind of freaks me out because I literally wake up at. Uh, this is honestly, it's a little stressful to say this because we were just talking about my cortisol issues potentially. And yeah. then whenever this flare up occurs of symptoms, whatever they are, whether it's like whatever I or like right now, it's like I basically wake up at 3.30 and I have to be awake and then I don't know what to do. So I try to go back to sleep because I'm always worried about being too tired to drive and stuff. So. <laughs> but well, I know, but I'm. I'm disturbed now because I have for years been told by, and now this, ah, oh, I'm painting myself in the worst <laughs> light now. I've been told Don't do mostly, it. I have to, I have to. I've mostly been told by my like friends who are energy workers or like, I guess people who are usually if the feminine persuasion mentioned that, oh, you're waking up at 3 a.m., you're probably supposed to do something. And my and I just feel like I dismiss it as like, wait, I'm supposed to wake up at 3 a.m. and do magic. Well, probably. But <laughs> but I Levitate. just yes, I just can't. Uh, I haven't been able to. I guess it feels it felt it feels wrong almost to be active at a time when you're told that if you're active, you're being it, it might affect your day in, like in a not positive way. So just like, yeah. I, that, I don't know. That, uh, I, I do. I know what you're saying. I've encountered many people with the same kind of feelings, by the way. And there, it's like, it's sort of like cholesterol and Cheerios. It's so freaking oversold. Yeah. sorry it's so oversold it's kind of like yeah i'm i'm eating heart healthy food i have cheerios in the morning it's like right okay let's, so let's skip that it's like sleep is like that dude sleep is like that sleep is so oversold it's like yes sleep is essential but if you gave me a choice between uh gun to my head 20 minutes of meditation or six hours of sleep where i'm going to be paranoid about whether i'm going to feel awake enough <laughs> for the rest of the day to uh to 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 perform i will take 20 minutes of meditation anytime yeah for sure so it's like 
so so if you're waking up like here so here's the deal with sleep and circadian rhythms and all that kind of stuff there's definitely a gene biological gene driven biological clock that determines when we wake up okay so if you're waking up at 3:30 sometimes that's a hallmark for for problems but also it's like it's just the stigma attached to I'm awake at 3:30 nobody wakes up at 3:30 it's like it is the most awesome time of day if you really want to know because most it's true most people are in the twilight zone i mean they're 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 really baked in their sleep and they're not roused enough to come out of it so so if you're waking up then it's like dismiss the whole idea that somehow i won't have enough energy left for the day and take advantage of that time and if you're that awake and that alert that's a perfect time to just sit in a quiet meditation 20 minutes and then guess what will happen you'll find that the whole sleep arousal thing will pass and you'll find yourself maybe just, you know, I used to do this before, sleep on the sleep on the floor on a firm surface because it'll never allow you to sleep too long, right? And you'll just conk out for like 30, 40 minutes and you'll make up the difference. And then slow, and the next day, the time will shift and it'll be closer to four. And then next week, it'll be 4.30. And the following week, it'll be 5.30. And then eventually you're not waking up at that time anymore. I think that's what they're getting at. I don't want to speak for energy workers because I, <laughs> I'm not an expert. Um, but, I, but, I, but I do this with people's sleep patterns all the time to get them to shift their sleep cycle where it fits their mindset and their lifestyle and they feel better about things. But uh, that's all. But, you know, we're par I'm getting at is we're generally paranoid about sleep like, um, like, like it somehow fixes everything. I'm I'm working on sleeping less. <laughs> I want to sleep less, not more. I'm honestly, I feel kind <laughs> of scared right now. I feel because oh, because I'm sorry. No, it's the good kind of fear because I feel like the most productive I've been in my life and the most happy has been when I've slept the least. But I've had. I've had people around me who are no longer around me be alarmed at my number of hours spent waking. Oh, wow. And now wow. I'm realizing that those people are no longer in my life, yet I maintain the habits that I, I feel like this is like a revelation happening as I say it. So I don't even awesome. know what I'm saying. Oh, it's extremely but... liberating, dude. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, what? it's like it's like come break break yourself free from that artificial construct that has nothing to do <clears throat> has no solid basis in science. It's like it's it's just a fact. Some people, I think I probably sleep uh, five hours at the most every night, and I I'd like to get that down to three if I could. But um, you know, it's like break free from that, and you will find that. You got to trust your body, dude. You will find that natural evolution of what sleep pattern is best for you. But it really, there is something, by the way, there is something incredibly magical by uh, at about 3.30 in the morning. And I know this before I knew anything because I think I mentioned this before. I, I, I discovered that if I had a problem that, ne that needed to be solved, you know, some people will sit at a desk with a light and they'll, you know, spend hours trying to sort through it. And I, somewhere along the way, I just figured out I would just go to bed and wake up. And invariably, I'd wake up at 3.30 in the morning, and there it is, problem solved. I invented a, I invented a laser surgery that way, by the way, <clears throat> a cosmetic laser procedure 
and where I had filled my head with all the ideas of how the, the physics of different wavelengths and how they work and how to use them and apply them. And, and I was trying to develop something to do uh, for facial laser surgery. And I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and just like the movie, I looked at Renata and I said, I know how to do it. And we went into the office and I taught her how to do it and she did it to me. <laughs> okay, wait a minute, what's going on? What yeah, what's you, going on? Are you, ex what are, are there, do you have superpowers? Is that, is that, is no, there? No, no, no. In fact, it's so not a superpower. It's a, it's not a superpower. I promise you. No, there's a great, hey, for anybody that reads, there's a great little book called The Art of Invention. The Art of Invention. <laughs> and it's written by the son of the guy that developed IBM. I don't remember the names. You're going to have to just let it go. <laughs> okay. But the, it, yeah, the art of invention. So the guy, is, it's the son of the guy who started IBM, which of course has been incredibly successful and took over the world. And now we have computers and everybody hates them. But in the meanwhile, this, in the book, this short little book, by the way, which is, it's not a tome. It's, it's maybe not even 150 pages, but <clears throat> he tells the story of how he would go on the weekends. He would go with his dad to like flea markets and estate sales and, they would just sort of look and see what's out there. They were both engineers, by the way. I think I think he he was probably a software engineer at that stage of the game, and his dad was whatever. But they were both engineers, so they had that mindset. And they would look at these things, and his dad would pick something up and say, yeah, this is a whatever, but what else could it be used for? <laughs> what else can you do with this? And so that's the whole the whole idea of inventiveness is like, you know, we, somebody sees a problem, these guys would look at something and say, wow, I think I can make that do this, that, and the other thing. So this, <clears throat> this whole concept of taking a problem to bed and then waking up with the solution, he, he talks about it very explicitly in this book. It's kind of like, it's not a superpower. It's just, you literally just ask your brain to do it <laughs> by not fretting over it and, and, and uh, stewing and, and basically <clears throat> soaking in your own stew, metabolizing your own stew. Just take the salient facts, fill your head with it, go to bed and completely forget about it. And it's almost guaranteed you're gonna wake up with an answer. <laughs> Not a superpower, I promise. <laughs> now I have a second query. What kind of crazy laser procedure did you invent? What is going on? <laughs> with lasers and your face uh, yeah well that's a, that's a thing that's a thing that i was doing before all of this stuff came along and my life changed <laughs> it was we we did a lot of cosmetic procedures and um and we had this um we had this particular laser that um really a state-of-the-art laser that and when i say laser it's like um there it there's there's a laser that is a uh, refracted energy beam that can take layers of your skin off. That's one laser. This, the other part of the laser is, it's called BBL, uh, broadband light. And it basically, you insert filters and the filters adjust the wavelength of the light that hits, that comes in contact with the skin. So like, if you were trying to, you know, remove, like a common skin disorder is um, something called melasma, where people have more darker patches of skin over lighter skin, right? So there's all these different wavelengths of light, Hater. That's that's what it comes down to. 
and and they all have different properties and sometimes what they do is they cause enough genetic changes within the skin cells the overlying skin cells that they kind of rejuvenate it and bring it back to life that's what that's what the um that's that's the whole purpose of doing the laser procedure so i honed in on this idea that if i used it specifically on uh the eye area the upper eyelid in particular that you could rejuvenate the skin of the eyelid and it would require so many pulses of light which which creates enough energy to change the genetic makeup and if you did this uh, frequently enough it basically it was like once a week for about five six weeks in a row then over time the skin would change and rejuvenate and it would just lift your lift your upper eyelid kind of like a semi-permanent uh botox and so I was trying to figure, I knew the salient points. I understand, I understood the technology. I understood what wavelengths of light could work, but I knew nothing about the settings, like how intense should it be and blah, blah, blah. So I went to bed one night <laughs> with all of these thoughts in my head and simply forgot about it. And then the next morning I woke up and I had enough information in my head that we went to our office and, um, and, I, and it was all very safe, by the way. It sounds wild and experimental, but, um, I had everything set up and I explained, because it's around the eye, you wear eye coverings, so your eyeball is not exposed to light. But I set it everything up and I, I, I asked Renata to set the machine at a certain setting and then she began the procedure. And lo and behold, <laughs> it was like later that evening, we're sitting at home and I think just watching TV. So this is like five or six years ago now, we're just watching TV. And it's like all of a sudden the room started to get brighter. Like I just had this procedure done that earlier in the day, right? And the rooms, this room started to get brighter. And it's like I could see better. And I'm thinking, what the heck is going on here? And sure enough, it was slowly lifting my upper eyelids because I have kind of generous, oh, I have too much skin on my upper, uh, it's called dermatoclasia. I have too much skin on my upper eyelids. So sure enough, it was like it was lifting my eyelids and I thought, okay, proof of concept, it works. You can use this, you can use this laser with the right amount of energy and it will give you this desired effect. And I and after that, I mean I went to laser conferences. I went to the guy in Los Gatos, California, who is like the godfather of this broadband light uh, laser treatment. And he had he had he'd never heard of it. He'd never heard of anybody doing that. <laughs> So, but it can be done. I, I, I'm, I have no question. <laughs> and that happened from going to bed and forgetting about it. So I'm, I'm trying to not choke on this water. So give me two seconds. Oh, take your time. You wanted me to talk more. Well, I'm, I'm very interested in. in how you feel I'm trying to phrase the question correctly, but I'm wondering how you feel about cosmetic modification of the avatar and how like how cosmetic surgery factors into spirituality if it does in any way um i I you know that's such a broad spectrum, like for example. I mean, plastic surgery, if somebody, if somebody has a nasal condition where they can't comfortably, comfortably breathe through either nostril, you know, like I've seen this with people with chronic sinus conditions. It's just, it's just a, it's, it's a physical source of chronic anxiety and, and it 
brings about this sensation of air hunger and then a panic attack and then general chronic generalized anxiety. So I definitely think like if somebody came to me and said, hey, I want to do yoga and pranayama and I want to breathe correctly and they can't breathe through their sinuses because they literally are too narrowed or they have chronic infection, then there's definitely a place for that. Now, if they happen to get a if it involves a rhinoplasty where the shape of the nose is altered in some way because it would enhance their breathing. I, I think that's great. I think that's a I think that's a noble and valid step to take. Yes, I think I I'm think, actually I'm having that done. Oh, so. okay. Well, there you go. I, I yes, I have that, a deviated I, septum. So that's what I'm saying. That yes. like that definitely that that that's an obstacle. <laughs> I mean, really, truly, it's like I would I would figure out some way to get that fixed, kind of thing. So so and it, and it's a chronic and it's so interesting. Like I mean, I've noticed this over the years, basically, patients come in and around here, it's like everybody has allergies because the biodiversity and the, just the sheer amount of plant growth is like a million things to be allergic to. And then some, they get chronic sinus infections and then they're overtreated with antibiotics and that worsens the scenario and so on and so forth. It's like, I had no, I had no problem sending them for sinus surgery so they could alleviate that because they had chronic anxiety and were taking pills from other doctors to treat a condition that originated in the sinus passages. And that's often the case for a lot of people. It's like, they don't have 12 medical problems. They have one <laughs> that's manifesting as all these different things. So, so I think there's definitely a place for that. Um, okay. Of, of course, I, I understand the value in medically corrective surgery, but I guess I meant, uh, enhancements that aren't necessary for better biological function but rather like like yeah, vampire getting... fangs or yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, i was getting to that well no i mean some of that is just no because some of i i i wouldn't do it i wouldn't find myself doing it and i say that although um, i did happen to find myself in a situation where somebody wanted elf ears and i worked really hard to, to try to get the, you know, the apex of her ear more pointed. <laughs> I have to admit, wow. I did that. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. So you're, wait, so you're but it basically. Looked, but it looked good on this person. It actually, like, believe it or not, here's the thing. No, I believe that. I yeah, believe aesthetically, that. It, it, would, it was like, wow, this is, this is really, like, that's a great idea. I'll see if I can do it. And that's, Wow, that's great. So ultimately, it 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 wasn't it didn't really take well. I'm not proud of it, but you know that I probably would. I w I know I wouldn't do that today. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that for anybody. But I can see that I can see circumstances where that makes perfect sense to me. I what I don't what I don't see working so much is that you know women ordinary women like go and get breast surgery or breast implants and they they go in with the best intentions of getting. I just want to go up a cup size, like not five, okay? But somehow invariably they come out of there and they've always gone up a couple of cup sizes and sometimes more, frequently more. And the only rationale for that is that it just serves the doctor, you know? <laughs> I mean, it makes for a better after photo is what it comes down to. Like if somebody's breasts are kind of diminutive and sagging and you put, you go up a cup size, it's like, you're, that, you're never going to go to a cocktail party and brag about it. And nobody's going to notice it, even though it's plenty. It's all that's necessary for somebody, for a woman to feel complete and better about themselves 
they invariably get something more. And like, that's America, dude. I mean, look around you. We, we don't have tires. We have okay. tires that are so big, <laughs> you can't right. see over them. Wait, so do, is there a male equivalent of this like female cos- cosmetic surgery that I don't, cause I don't, I know that a lot of guys are doing TRT right now and they don't need it. Like a lot of people I know are on crazy amounts of testosterone when they definitely can just change their diet and exercise a little bit differently. Uh, but is there any other thing that men do that is similar I mean, men, to bre- breast augmentation, maybe? Oh, men get um, pec implants. You can, you, can, you can spot them a mile away. I mean, they have arms like, uh, like particularly, cele- particularly celebrities. You know, they have these pec implants. So it looks like they have a really well, you know, exercised upper chest, anterior deltoids kind of thing. But then you look at, I think I'm thinking of Mickey, Mickey Rourke, <laughs> but oh he's got arms like, he's got arms like pipe cleaners. It's like the guy clearly has, hasn't lifted a weight or a shovel or, or barely a toothbrush, but he's got these massive pec implants. I could be wrong. It could just be the, the <laughs> magic of magic of television. <laughs> I like, but, I was, it's funny. Okay. This is, I love where this conversation went. Do you know who <laughs> the liver king is? um deliver king no i guess yes. i don't okay <laughs> it should mean something to you the liver king uh, is an internet personality at the moment but um his wife is a former biological dentist i don't know what a biological dentist is i just know that that's what they go by um okay. and i don't either <laughs> he i have no idea see so i'm just saying but this guy has a massive fitness company called Ancestral Health, and I'm not bad mouthing them. I'm I'm even curious about trying their products. But the this man basically Liver King is super jacked, like 230 pounds, 10 percent body fat, and he is known for eating raw livers and raw meat. Mm. And not this mm. isn't like it's not a stunt. He actually eats these things and swallows them. And doesn't throw them up somehow. <laughs> and uh, he preaches this concept that humans were eating raw meat at one point, And there has been no evolution to where we would eat cooked meat. It's a complex man, but he has a very large, mm. he has a very large following behind him. And I would, mm. if you don't know about him right now, I feel like I'll send you some links just to, because there is a lot of, medical jargon put up there and science alleged science and i would like to hear your take on it because i guess there there is recurrence of uh the concept of like body for body in terms of like uh in in indigenous peoples uh like eating a heart if you're having heart issues eating liver to be healthy eating the various vital organs of an animal for spe- to boost specific parts, specific parts of health, so I don't know if he's just. It's yeah. It's not. It's not far fetched in that sense. It's just. It's just not sustainable. That's the, that's the problem. It's like, I mean, before before recombinant insulin was developed, we got insulin from pigs. It looked close enough. It behaved the same way. It was good enough. When people when people had thyroid issues, they got desiccated. You can still get it. You can get dried out 
thyroid from a from a pig. Your thyroid pill was basically the thi your thyroid gland of a pig that's dried out and then pressed into a capsule, and that's what you swallowed every day. And it contained uh, an average ratio of you know active and so-called inactive thyroid hormones. So all of that's true. Organ meats have been have been <laughs> have been worshipped, and and um, this is nothing new, dude. Here's 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 lesson number two for life generally. It's like all of this stuff has done has been done before. There's nothing new about any of it. People have eaten organ meats forever, and what yeah, about? and there's, uh, but sorry, but, but no, no, no. It's just that, but I think it's unsustainable. Like take a take take a liver for example. It's like the liver's main job is to basically, it 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 is it is the chief metabolizer of every foreign object and every exogenous and endogenous substance that you're ever exposed to you get somebody spraying pesticides and you inhale it it's going to go through your liver <laughs> you're you're feeding you're feeding a hog or a pig or whatever a cow's liver you're feeding a cow grass hay that has herbicides and pesticides it's going to be in their liver so it's like it's not really sustainable even even if you find the highest quality organic grass-fed beef liver that's out there, you're still eating the metabolites the, that have to be broken down in the human body. Kidneys the same way. God, I mean, have you smelled organ meats? Yes. Like, um, I, I'm a brown uh, person. I've smelled meats <laughs> that no human should smell. No, I'm just, I shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have made that joke, but uh, my... No, but, but, I, but I get it. <laughs> uh, uh, my dad FaceTimed Xander this morning and he's like Xander look a goat's brain and he's just eating a bowl full of goat's brains I'm like wow. good good times good at 6 a.m well it's 6 a.m our time it was 6 p.m their time but yeah uh, I mean can you can you do it yes is it sustainable does it have all the magical powers like I I, I yes I mean I think people definitely get something out of it right but in my mind it's not sustainable and literally, you begin to take on the personality characteristics and features of whatever dominant organ meat that you're eating. Like, I, I will take a vegetable any day. Like, all, all these TV programs where people are alone in the wilderness and they're trying to survive. And they, they sit down and they're surrounded by wild edibles. And they keep looking out at the lake where the fish are that never seem to appear. <laughs> it's just funny, right? I mean... They, they could be eating right that mo right at that moment, but they just don't recognize the food around them. So, yeah, I mean, I can you make a business out of it? I'm sure, but I, I if somebody came to me, I wouldn't I wouldn't be recommending it. I'll just so, say that. So wait, I have a question. Do you eat meat right now? Um, yes, but like so occasionally, <laughs> so occasionally, like. I don't know. We ate, we ate, <laughs> this is a thing. We ate some meat the other day. It's like, and if I do, by the way, it is only, it is only organic grass fed or whatever. It's like, I can't even, I can't even smell food that's, um, that, that's been processed or chickens that have not been fed right. I can't even eat an egg or the, uh, the yolk is so pale that you can't, you can't, I mean, it's like, it's almost as white as the, white of the white of the egg i just can't that's me you know that's i have a personal aversion to it but and but yeah i mean like maybe once or twice a year kind of phenomenon wait and have you 
always been averse to over-processed foods or did that come with the more as you went further inward you realized that I, you... I went I went through I went through phases like when I was much younger I was vegetarian and then I was even vegan for about 10 or 12 years long before long before vegan became a marketable skill that you sold <laughs> on something I mean I mean truly it's like I'm talking about in the 80s. I was vegan for probably um, 10 or 10 or 12 years, and um, and there are some definite definite advantages to it. But it's not for people that if you're if you try to be vegan and just eat out of a ordinary grocery store, you're just going to die because everybody migrates to sugar as a substitute, which is like the perfect poison when it gets right down to it. So. And then I was vegetarian for a lot of years, and then I, I began to eat meat intermittently. And then for a while I ate it, and I could I could I could stomach even the restaurant food. And then after, and then definitely 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 though, when my body changed, my mind changed. This aversion for meat came with it. It's just like man, I cannot, I just can't. <laughs> like if you see a TV commercial or some you know something for a restaurant, it's like and they're saying, mmm, this looks good, and I'm just seeing death. It just looks like death to me, so so that definitely came. That definitely changed and came along with it. And I, you know, yeah, I, I <laughs> not not vegan. Probably the closest thing would be um, don't even really eat eggs. You see, so it's just like, and the only milk I eat is like really heavy cream milk, and that's something that's just heavy organic cream, and that's something that's specific to me because my body can handle fat. Um, and, and I can, I can stabilize my blood sugars with the minimal amount of insulin doing that. So, yeah, so I got a, I have a number of reasons, but the def, I have a definite version for aversion for meat, although I occasionally eat it. And, um, and it's, and it's not like a food fanaticism thing. Like if somebody, somebody came and prepared the best grass fed, you know, bison, buffalo meat, I would eat it. I would totally eat it. It's not like that. I just, I just prefer, I just feel better. And I know my brain is better. My mind is better when I, when I don't eat it, but oh man, anything, anything that's just like bought across the counter from, you know, whatever, whatever your local grocery stores are, I can't do it. I, I can't even look at it from a distance. I just, I just see death. <laughs> and that's, I may, <laughs> may come across a little extreme for people. No, that's, that's fine because also at the same time like let's say if you were i think it's the the context like you're the way i guess i'm thinking if you grew up in a tribe in like one of the in, in a tribe somewhere in a different there i guess there are still tribes that hunt so and i don't want to say a specific continent or anything but you would then not see killing the animal as death but your neurology would see it as an essential part of living but oh, i feel absolutely. like absolutely but i feel but like of, sorry yeah, no. sorry no 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 go ahead <laughs> it's it, it's just interesting that it's almost like a like it's your job to recognize that let's say factory farming or certain types of animal consumption isn't okay and you're identifying that by being in a place where you can differentiate between different types of food and 
I guess, I don't know. It's interesting because you also described your childhood where there wasn't any food. So it's not like you're coming from a place of extreme privilege and deciding what to eat, really. So oh, I don't Lord, even no. know what I was saying. Ignore me. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I get it. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I would eat, I would eat whatever food was available growing up, but no, somewhere out, but really, truly somewhere along the way. And again, I was probably 15. I think I became a vegetarian the first time when I was like 15 or 16, <clears throat> which was totally, which by the way, like late seventies, it's almost impossible. It was at that point in time, it was almost impossible to, to be vegetarian. I mean, it, it's, it's just amazing how that has transformed. And yet, and yet people still argue that it's so difficult to be vegetarian. It's, it's like, so way back when, when it wasn't a fad and wasn't popular, because, because try it, there's just something about it. You feel lighter, healthier, and more vibrant. And, and that, that's, that's where I was thinking when you were talking about indigenous people generally. So whatever they eat, if they're eating a goat or a goat's brains, whatever they're eating is whatever that goat ate, right? So depending on the part of the world, if an animal is allowed to graze or a wild animal is allowed to just eat whatever their actual habit affords them, you're secondhand getting all of that stuff. And, and that's a very different food group than a heavily processed than a farm factory that's feeding chickens this the 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 kind of feed that just pumps them up faster so they can be ready for market at a certain time that just that food just ta it's just it's just you want to live your best life that's horrible food that's just horrible food that's garbage food that's not living your best life that's just eating whatever is conveniently available to you and for a, for a little bit more effort it can it can feel different and it can taste different and and for me specifically though dude when it gets right down to it i don't have a lot of choices from a food group standpoint like i eat a lot of almonds and almond butter and walnuts and sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds and pecans because i this is just what my body requires right now i can't i can't sit and just go i couldn't go somewhere and just order something off of a menu and eat it and survive the meal it would i'd be dead <laughs> it'd be a trip to the hospital for me kind of thing so i have to be careful in that way but i've always had this i've always had this i've always i've always been aware of the association between the raw food that we take from outside in our environment think about this for a second right pick anything up from your kitchen counter and put it inside you where does it, what do you think happens to us? Just, just like turn into goodness, <laughs> right? It has to be broken down and be incorporated into your cells. And that's true. Like if, if you eat fat and you're eating heavily processed fats, then basically the fat that is involved in uh, cell metabolism, the fat that's between every cell in your body, it's composed of Wesson oil or Crisco or whatever you're eating. That's what it's made of. <laughs> it's not magically purified and made into something new, and which which is why things like fish oil have this ability to kind of uh, calm a, a bipolar brain, for example, or even alleviate depression in people because it enhances the fluidity of cell membranes, and they're more resilient, and they can kind of take that, they can kind of buffer the effects of stress that otherwise would make their brains crazy. So it's all too real, <laughs> the connection between 
the food that we take from outside of us and put it inside of us and expect it to somehow be magically purified when in reality we just become the food that we eat period plain and simple that's i'm glad we i feel like i'm gonna start i i don't know there's something there needs to be i guess i need to incorporate my breath work into my cooking because it seems like i'm always in a rush when i'm cooking yeah Um, well we eat too much to begin with that's the other thing it's like we feel like we have to eat three times a day (laughs) that's that's just a purely programmed thing right i mean the rest of the world doesn't get to eat three times a day sometimes once if they're lucky twice a day so there there's that there there and that that's the idea that somehow we get energy from eating the food that we're consuming, right? Where does that come from? When, when, have, when have you ever really, and unless you're, unless you're in peak physical condition and you are already on a calorie restricted diet because you're smart enough to make the connection between longevity, health, and a lower caloric intake. Everybody in America overfuels and is overfed. Everybody is. That's why when COVID came along, so many people got so sick, they were in intensive care units fighting for their lives because all those synthetic fats that made up their cells were released all at one time and that constituted a cytokine storm and that caused a lot of harm to a lot of people. So it's like, where is the idea that this food that I'm gonna eat and more of it is gonna give me more energy because I don't see that. I, I haven't noticed that in my patients for 30 years. I see people just gaining weight and having less energy. My mind is being destroyed. Excuse the silence. Please continue. So, so wait. So where is, let's say my brain is not working right now. Where is my energy coming from right now? So, so the major source of energy for your body are the mitochondria, which are kind of where, where ATP is created, which is the currency of cell energy. So, so the mitochondria, but but mitochondria perform best when they're underfed and not, not undernourished. I'm not saying a, a, a diet that's deprived of uh, nutrients, but a like, a, like a fasted state, maybe like a temporarily fasted state, which is what exactly happens if you eat twice a day, if you only, if you eat only twice a day, right. But it's nutrient dense quality food. So you put so many hours between the metabolism of the raw ingredients. I, 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 just, I just want you to think of just the complete audacity of picking like <laughs> a chicken leg off of the counter. Let's say you're at a buffet somewhere. It's like you reach out and you use your hand to grab a leg off of the chicken and then you start eating it. And then, and it's inside you, right? This food that was sitting on a counter a moment ago is now inside you. Just think of that. Think of that phenomenon for a second. <laughs> I mean, it, it maybe maybe it's not it's not resonating with you at the moment. But no, I'm when... <laughs> I'm just literally I don't even know how to think right now. So I'm <laughs> okay. So so anyway, so we take what I'm saying is we take food from our external environment, right, and we put it inside us, and then it does something, and we feel like we should get energy from it. But but really, it's it's more like it's more like just putting money back in the bank so you're, they don't shut your electricity off so you still have lights. <laughs> that's, all that's, that's all that's really doing. You're sustaining your body 
but you're not you're not generating energy unless you put hours between the food consumption where the whole bit of processing has gone on everything is done the, the any energy that could be extracted from that food and the structural proteins and the carbohydrates that become glucose and then the fats that get stored as a source of energy for later because you you know you might need it okay once all that's done that's that's the only time you start to get energy from food because everybody eats and they immediately fall asleep that's what everybody does <laughs> that's what's really going on because it takes a lot of work a lot of a lot more circulation all this stuff has to be processed by the liver it has to be filtered through your kidneys and then the rest of it's kind of circulating around in your blood so it's like so there, there, you're not really getting energy from that food not initially you're just sort of satisfying the debt that's required for you to continue to exist on this planet the energy comes in when you space the food out the nutrient-dense food out in such a way that the mitochondria, the little energy producing factories within cells have the opportunity to catch up and begin to create ATP, which is the actual money. That's where the bucks are. That's where you begin to feel energy. And it's because you're actually restricting calories. It's because you're taking calories away, not because you're adding them up or adding to it. And it's like, we'll never get to that place. People generally will never get to that place because of the, it starts with the misconception that eating food gives me energy. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And that no, comes... <laughs> I, I think it's really good you said that because I think we often we stray away from we talk about the medical industry sometimes or medicine in general, but we haven't really talked about fitness or the like sports nutrition industrial complex but it definitely <laughs> yeah. seems like that would also be driven by especially being an athlete and being fed false sports science or not even false but like commercially driven sports science that drives sales of goods it seems strange that even athletes are eating mostly the wrong amount and functioning at a lower output neurologically at least because the whole day you're eating food usually i guess now fasting is trendy but that's also just like being they've gone to another extreme with that and now everyone's fasting all the time it, and and that's yeah because it's not sustainable either but you know is there a place for fasting definitely definitely there is is there a place for just spacing these calories out so your body actually works like it's supposed to yeah but but you but look around you the 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 sports industry athletics generally people are not eating food for <laughs> to meet their body requirements they're they're clearly trying to change their <laughs> almost their evolutionary makeup i mean they're, 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 they're trying to change their body in a way that is typically unsustainable. Look, look at anybody. Look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's like he, he, was, he had an amazing physique, uh, physique, right? But did that translate into old age for him? No. He looks, he looks like he's caved in. I mean, granted, he's older, but it really wasn't a sustainable body habitus. It was not anything that he was going to be able to keep up because things break, things break down. And the steroids are not always available. Blah, well, Terry, so. he's back <laughs> on cycle and he's on TRT and HEH. So everything's tightened up again. So you should look well, at okay. some. I'm just mad. I'm just 
No, <laughs> no, no. It's worth noting. I, it's totally worth noting. But you, but you'll notice how that. I don't doubt it. I don't. But that that alone is unsustainable, right? I mean, that it's like I hate to burst the bubble for people, but I mean, I I'm. You're talking to the guy who gave hormone replacement therapy to um, to hundreds, if not thousands, of men, and there definitely, definitely, definitely is a place for it. If you're overweight and are underproducing testosterone. You're doomed. You're doomed. It's like it's not. It's it's not even a. That, that's almost an unsolvable problem unless you go into a fasting, a prolonged fasting state, or a modified fasting state, or what I used to recommend for people is something called a mono diet. It's like today you're going to eat apples. You're going to find organic apples, and that's all you're going to eat, all day long. I don't care how many you eat. <laughs> Just eat them all day long. It's like it's like a mono diet. It's almost like a mono fast. You you ultimately have restricted your caloric intake because it's not processed. It's not applesauce. It's not apple juice, right? So, but if you're a man and your testosterone level is low and you're overweight and your blood sugar is is just slightly elevated, you have you have something called metabolic syndrome. You're on your way to type two diabetes, blindness, kidney failure, uh, shortened lifespan higher risk for cancer and death. That's all that is. And so I would give these men testosterone replacement therapy and not even question it because the ones that worked with it wisely, maybe Arnold's in that category, right? Because he's a pretty smart cookie, actually. I mean, truly, he's like, <laughs> he's got something going on. But if you if they were smart enough and worked with it wisely, they got, they got the results, the expected results, their percent body fat went down, their lean muscle mass went up and their blood sugars stabilized. And type 2 diabetes, not type 1, but type 2 diabetes, which is basically insulin resistance. Your body no longer recognizes the effect of the, own, of the insulin you're producing. They, they would reverse their symptoms and their risk for type 2 diabetes. I, I think type, type 2 diabetes is entirely reversible. It's a completely reversible disease. Nobody has to find themselves and, until, unless they've exhausted their pancreas to the point where it can no longer produce insulin. Then they're stuck. But the vast majority of type 2 diabetics can be reversed. And so there is a place for this stuff. There is a place for it. It's just not, not in the, the 20 to 50 age bracket where most of it seems to be going. And, and, and not, even the same, not even the same testosterone. It's very, it's very different, synthetic, really high power testosterone. That's, that creates an entirely new set of problems of its own. So. So it's like, but none of these are sustainable, dude, is what I'm saying. In the end, every man who takes testosterone will find himself having to get off of it. Every man. I don't care who you are. Arnold will find, will have to find a way to get off of what he's taking right now. He just will. Yes. I'm, and I shouldn't have thrown him under the bus. Maybe he's all natural, but I'm just saying it doesn't look natural. But You know, like yeah. Stallone, like Stallone, he did the, the he looks like he's made of rock. So obviously right. it's, it's not really a thing that humans are made out of. So, but um, <laughs> not typically, no. So in all this like change, it, it's just interesting that all these issues like type two diabetes, it's, it's as though the human body comes with a series of, things it can do and if you do any of those things too much you encounter issues 
and there are ways to fix the issues. But it's just, I guess, at the sake of sounding incredulous that we exist, it seems like there should be an instruction book or some, there should be some indication of how to not encounter all the issues. And I feel like that's what doctors or shamans were supposed to be. And then slowly they became something else. And now you seem to be turning back into the thing that's making it like even for uh, from us talking it's i i feel like i'm troubleshooting how to be in this avatar and you're only providing your best guess you're not really speaking in a way where i'm like this man is telling me exactly what to do so it's just it's interesting that it's shifted to where we don't know how to exist in this body it's because the if I can just offer a potential explanation, you know, the, the, the entire concept of wholeness, of harmony, and of balance, all of that, at least in the Western cultures, all of that has been thrown out the window. And, and so as soon as you take that away from the equation, there really is no guidepost, you're right. But, but to create a guidebook, like how do you take care of your body, what food, you, food should you eat? It would look like what we're seeing today a thousand commercials, a million books, you know, uh, half the internet, and none of it, still none of it makes any sense at all. Can you hear me? Or yes, I can hear you. No, I'm listening. Yeah, so it'd be like, there, there's, no, there's no figuring it out. Unless you restore the concept of balance and harmony, in which case everything kind of comes together. The best example of that is the way food evolved and diet evolved in the Mediterranean basin of the world. It's like the Mediterranean diet. Do they eat some meat? Yeah, they throw they throw a few chunks of meat in here, but it's a lot of legumes, you know, fruit, grain, nuts, and vegetables, all all chosen from from their local environment that have all the things that we're looking for. And today we just we just lump that up with a, well, that's ethnic food, or <laughs> you know, that's we just lump it into some category, not realizing. There is this coevolution between humans and plants and animals that has occurred for hundreds of thousands of years. And, and that's why we take um, turmeric and add it to foods. And that's why we use cayenne in a certain way. And that's where black pepper came from. And that's what cinnamon's all about. It's like all of these, all of these elements that we've tossed out and replaced with corn and wheat. <laughs> and then we, and then we're, then we're shocked and we wonder, you're right. We wonder why things are not working the way they're supposed to, because we're depending on some chemist in a lab to decide what's going to go into our bodies tomorrow. And, and I'm not I'm not even I'm, and that may sound odd to some people, but it's like it's just a great big experiment. It's 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 a disaster waiting to happen. And I'm why should we be surprised? But you won't you don't need a guidebook if, if you if you recognize the essence of this universe is balance and harmony without which nothing nothing would exist if you recognize that core component then it's like you carry that core component with you and again it went all went away when the oral traditions died out you carry that with you it's like oh i i clearly shouldn't be eating three cups of sugar a day it's like it's you don't you don't need a guidebook or a nutritionist or somebody with a phd or let alone a doctor it's kind of like no way. I should I should not be eating that. Wait, so, hard... so you're yeah. saying I, I shouldn't dip this 
whole wheat corn dog in this maple syrup and eat, eat it. <laughs> well you you probably can get away with it but but uh you could you can see you can do that it's, it's still harmony yes go ahead and eat it no i just but wanted you... to say whole wheat corn dog because it's whole wheat the, i know the, the wheat and the corn have combined forces against you yeah conspired it's... You can you can do it, but you won't you won't be able to do it again and again and again. It's like, no, it, I can't. I get too sleepy after I eat. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. But this is a strange uh, divergence from this conversation. But <laughs> I thought of something. Um, this whole time we've been talking, and I guess people don't know, but we were talking prior to this on the phone about some like my medical issues, just because that's not really interesting for a podcast, really for other people. <laughs> but um, about like, um, I've had a lot of injuries in my life through like, uh, combat sports, like just uh, like tennis elbow, or like a b- bruised bone or a, like a cracked hand or something small like that. And you just rest and you um, things get better they repair themselves but i had i got diagnosed with inflamed ribs about like 12 weeks ago probably costochondritis yes and i have no i it is that something that takes a very long time to come down inflammation wise if you don't rest i mean it can although it, it, you know that I've never heard anybody. I mean, doctors know what costochondritis chondritis is, which is kind of like it's it's sort of like what people have when they come in and think they have a heart attack, but they don't. And they have this. <laughs> it can be viral in nature, right? It's just inflammation around the membrane that covers the the intercostal muscles. And the bone of the rib cage, so it can okay. just be viral, viral related, and it can take a few weeks to calm down. But it's like, but not a lifetime. It's not right? Like, um, I, yeah. I'm. I've exhausted my Google skills and my WebMD skills, and I cannot. <laughs> it, it tells me that something weird is going on in my ribs. So if there's an alien in here, we're gonna have to discuss that later too. <laughs> if there's an alien in there, they may be trying to help you. Possible. Okay. So let's, let's talk about how you feel. This is, this is not. Okay. So we jumped from my ribs. We've talked about you meditating at 3am and six and the different times you meditate. And at the sake of obviously you not wanting to sound too, too psychedelic. Do you ever feel like you're interacting with any uh, a consciousness outside of your own? If there is something such as that, like a removed, like an external speaker, I I I I do. I I don't think I don't know that that's. Um... I don't know that it's that unusual. I have, I, I, I may have mentioned this. I mean, for a while, this is probably maybe two years ago, there was a point where I had this like parallel processing going on in my brain. By the way, it was like, 
we were sort of hinting at this earlier, but I was very, I was very much choosing to defragment my hard drive, deprogram my brain. Like I, I mean, I literally, I wasn't letting anything into my head that didn't have some positive influence. And it could have been, it could have been a solfeggio frequency. It could have been, you know, um, uh, spiritual things that I agreed with. Anyway, I was filling my head with that. And I definitely had a point there where there was parallel processing going on. It's like, there was this me talking about things. And then there was this other voice that was giving me the the feedback that I really, really needed. And that went on. And then beyond that, I definitely had experiences where <laughs> I felt like, I, I felt like I was being guided very nothing i could see but very literally <clears throat> i had i had a meditation experience um this is probably a year and a half ago where um and by meditation by the way it's like i wasn't sitting cross-legged on some some thing it's like this med this sense of meditation was carried with me just like walking around kind of carried with me and i was doing i was doing some like qigong type exercise and all of a sudden I have this image of this kind of ethereal field of, of uh, Buddhas and in, in kind of full lotus posture sitting in front of me, all on different levels. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the Kardak. Uh, I think it's called Kardak. It's like uh, an Instagram feed that always features the Buddha floating around on something. So I, I see this kind of pinkish cloud of Buddhas sitting in a full posture in front of me. And they're all at different areas, almost almost like three-dimensional, right? And then from this field of Buddhas comes this, the only way I can describe it is it looked like an umbilical cord that was coming out towards me. And, and, and this is happening, it's coming closer, it's coming closer, it's coming closer. It connects with my navel, right? Manipura, the, the solar plexus, Dantian, if you're, if you're into martial arts kind of thing. It connects in that area and it's like, it's somehow being internalized. <laughs> I'm... So this, so this happened, I'm just telling you that this happened. It's so real that I can, I can, I can describe it to you now and I can see components of it that I, that I didn't even see as clearly then. That's how no, real that's, that was to me. That's per So what kind of, just cause I don't really know the modality. What was, what type of, exercise were you doing when this occurred like what was your physical positioning so if people are trying to imagine the story what so, qi, so yeah so qigong is like just um you know sort of like uh, um some people might call it a mountain stance where your feet are slightly more than shoulder width apart okay and um you've you've seen people you've seen people do tai chi you make you make something called like a tai chi ball and it's like you imagine you're holding a beach ball between your left and right hand. And, you know, and Tai Chi is all about the opposites and everything, everything is curving. And, it, and I was moving this, I'm doing it right now, by the way, and I can feel it so intensely, it's bizarre. But I was moving this kind of energy ball around and doing some, you know, very short, almost like a push hands. You bring your arms back and then you push your hands gently forward in front of you except it's coming from your chest and shoulders not from you're not 
moving your hands. Anyway, I was making those kind of movements, sort of like, uh, like uh, manipulating chi kind of thing. And then, um, and here's the weird thing is like, it, I, this is my recollection, at least it, it seemed like it started when I opened my eyes, <laughs> I saw this in front of me. Now that's weird. Thinking, well, he's got his eyes closed. You can imagine all kinds of stuff, but it seems like it started when I opened my eyes and I'm looking at this field. Wow. I, I wish if I were really artistic, I could draw this for you, but it just three dimensionally went on for, I don't know if it was infinite, but a long, long time. But what the thing that gripped me was this umbilical cord, like appendage that seemed to emanate from it and it attached to my navel. And it was like, and the effect was, it wasn't like I just went into a super consciousness or something. It was like, what is happening to me right now? Like, what is this about? And I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this hater at the same time that I'm saying, you know, I, I, I was consciously looking for this experience, not, not fabricating or manipulating or making it up. I was consciously choosing every single day. I know there's something there. I know there's something else out there. It's like whatever, however you want to say it, open, open my third eye, <laughs> do something. I was, I was actively literally pleading for this. It's like that little poem I wrote. I cried out to all the gods, none returned my call. Okay. And it's going to, it goes on down the litany, a list of gods that didn't bother to show up for the occasion. But then ultimately it was like, oh, wow, this is happening. I can feel it. I definitely, that was a strong sense of intervention that um, I just can't deny. I just can't deny. But, you know, it wasn't me just sitting around doing nothing. I was actively trying to manipulate these energy fields, move it around. And, and for me, you know, it's all about <laughs> the background, of course, is whatever I can do to ultimately heal this pancreas that is keeping me in a cocoon where I can't, I can't do everything that I would want to do. It's like, that's that's what that's about. I was looking for ways to manipulate those energy fields and have something happen, but it gifted me with this incredible cosmic experience that I can't even, I can't even, I can't even begin to describe it beyond that. And it stayed with me. So yeah, I have. I I, I don't doubt that. I I feel like something guided me through. Like I was learning yoga, teaching myself. I wasn't learning. I was teaching myself yoga. I mean, I. I honestly didn't even really bother to consult a yoga text or even online stuff. I mean, I swear to God, I was, I was just feeling, I mean, I knew the basic, you know, kind of asanas to do, but I was feeling it out bit by bit. I was just finding out thinking if this is really an ancient, ancient system that was developed so that we can take this cyber unit we call the human body and fine tune the spinal cord so that it can be a receptor to receive images and messages from the cosmos, then there has to be a way to sort through this mess and figure it out. And I was slowly feeding, feeling my way through this day after day after day. And, <laughs> and then this particular day, doing this really simple Qigong exercise, and look, this is how you do it. If you just hold your left hand down with your palm up, left hand, palm up, and your right palm about a foot and a half above it. And don't, don't try to do anything, but just feel that energy. And imagine you have a beach ball and you're just sort of slowly rolling your hands around it. And if you do it slowly enough, you can definitely feel that energy there. I'm doing it right now and I close my eyes and I immediately have this kind of white 
dot. If not, if not a white dot, it's usually one. Of, by the way, it's usually one of your uh, triangles with a circle inside it that that appears right there in the region between the eyebrows, slightly above it. Um, I don't. I forget the yoga name for it, but it's like between your between your eyes, slightly above it, and a relaxed kind of out of focus staring there. I can feel it instantly. It was so powerful, but the <laughs> everything else that happened with it was completely unexpected. <laughs> no, I, I even I told Renata about it. I mean, that's how real it was. I went in and said, "Wow, this just happened." <laughs> it's it's so crazy when that and. I feel like, again, this podcast is called Idiot Mystic and some of, even the way I, I speak, <laughs> even, wait, what did you say? I said that I, I qualify for Idiot Mystic. Yes, yes. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't explain to you that, like, I don't know any ancient knowledge associated with that. I just know what happened. Yes, I guess what I'm getting at is it's good that you shared it in that way as opposed to the I'm sure there's a way you could have told that story with a lot more pageantry and ceremony <laughs> to like really to cash in on the fact that one day God showed up for you and said, hey, Carrie, <laughs> it's okay here. But I feel like yeah. you're... I, I think it's like it's so important for people to know that that divine experience is meant to be shared, but also not used in a way that I, I'm not saying that the universe would get angry at you or anyone if you chose to like make T-shirts about your experience. But it seems like <laughs> it has it has a very specific purpose. Like, I don't know what you did the rest of the day after that, but I can't imagine it was anything similar to what you would have done if that hadn't happened. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it, it's in my mind and forever. The each, each and every one of these experiences is a sacrament. It's like, as soon as, as soon as you take it and start just divvying it up and you know, spreading it around, like it's mustard, it's, it loses its essence. So no, I, I share that not because, not because it's so fantastical. It's just that, it's really the process behind it. It's like I, I, I don't I don't want people to think that I just kind of walked outside one day and there it was. It's like I was actively seeking this. I, I wanted this. It was it was almost like a a challenge in the sense that I know this is available. And and and, and I and, and I'm speaking from my weak understanding of Vedanta, the stuff that's in the Vedas and what we understand is like it's it's intended to be accessed that is the whole point not that it's remains secretive and occult and esoteric it is absolutely intended to be accessed and i was just sort of taking him up on the challenge and and i i would be lying if i told you that i really understood what that was all about i know that i know that it happened and it was intense in the sense that i can't explain it in any other way but um and I'm thankful for it, but no, it's not. It's not like a claim to fame or anything. I hold it close to me, like a sacrament, and I share it with you because I know you understand the what the thinking behind it and 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 how important and how important it is. And all of those experiences I've had, I hold them the same way. They're they're like sacraments. They're not. <laughs> they're no, it, it, honestly, <laughs> it makes sacred. me feel. It makes me feel better that you shared it because. I know there are several people who've also been on 
the podcast already probably some of them have been on multiple times and they've had numerous experiences not similar to yours but rooted in the same like from the same place and they don't really mention that part of their life but that part of their life mostly makes them and makes us friends but they don't talk about it so you're probably the first person to mention that and like I don't know, even for me, I always just say, oh, yeah, I had a weird experience. It changed my life, but I haven't really ever gotten into it because I I still don't know how to describe it properly. But mm. I had a question regarding your your thing that occurred. How much time felt like it like elapsed? Did, um was it a uh, short event? Did it feel like it lasted a long time? It, it, um, oh, that's a good question. Um, wow. Yeah, you can take, you know, no, you can take your time because why would someone think about that? I'm just asking for even my own, as a yeah. reference point for my own experience. Because mine took, it felt like it took about five to 10 minutes, but the actual time that elapsed was only like nine to 10 seconds. So mm. I mm. came out of it saying so much about it and everyone was looking at me like, there's no way, like, why are you still talking? That was only nine seconds. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm pausing because I don't think I even asked myself that question. But if I if I had to say if I had to say it felt like it probably felt like five minutes, which would which would be an eternity, by the way, for that to go on. Yes, so it maybe, sounds so, insane. <laughs> wait, yeah, five minutes. Five minutes, like wow. So wait, after the this the umbilical cord attached itself to you, did anything specific happen? Do you remember not, anything? No, no, I mean, I remember, I remember that not something not specific, <laughs> like nothing specific. Like I didn't feel like all of a sudden, <clears throat> I could, I could be wrong. I could have my timing off though. If I'm, if I, if I'm, if I'm completely honest, I could have my timing off. But that makes if, it even better. <laughs> that makes it well, better. It's, it's, I, I, I have to, I have to say that only because like, like I said earlier, there was a point there where, um, and I, I don't know that I mentioned this before, but there was a point when I was living outside <laughs> several months, actually. Outside yes. Outside 20, 24-7. Did I mention that? Yes. No, you, you told me about it a few episodes ago, but we didn't get into the <laughs> details of how that worked out. So not so not all of these things happened, <laughs> like at lunchtime or, <laughs> you know, afternoon or whatever. Some of these things happened at various times of the day and night and stuff um but i i would have to say like if i if i really think critically about it like the whole thing probably it, it felt like five minutes with all of this going on and and that that's the part that was weird it's like it was kind of like it was definitely a place where do i pull away from this because this thing is now entering my <laughs> navel or do i just let whatever happened happen but to answer your question specifically no i didn't feel like the bulb came on and all of a sudden I'm enlightened and all that kind of stuff. I looked at it more directly and more specifically that I, I was, I was attaching this energy. I mean, it's kind of like I was in control, I guess I was taking this energy and wanting to bring it specifically into my Don Chen. 
into the Manipura, that particular chakra, because I wanted energy there. I wanted energy there. And that's why I'm saying, to be honest with you, from a timing perspective, there, there was a lot, like there was a point where I got so energized from all of this. I mean, so much energy, not, not, um, <laughs> not, I don't want you to think it was kind of like semi-psychotic delusional energy. It's just, there, there was an extreme lightness of being going on about me. Like I know my feet were on the ground, but I, I, I wasn't always a hundred percent certain. Like I'd have to look down and check <laughs> just to be sure, because I felt so light. <laughs> no, that's it's on it. I'm kind of too excited about this story. Like I I'm the silence yeah. is it's pretty much how I react when like a pilot tells me a UFO story and I'm just dead silent and they're like, Hey, uh, please don't think I'm crazy, man. But I just like I'm in awe sometimes because no one ever talks about these things. Like this it's great. Like, so I have another question and I'm only bringing up the specifics of your experience so that if like, it's not that it matters even the specific parts, but it's that exploring it maybe just gives it more um, time that it deserves, I guess. Sure. Um, did the, did the Buddhas have like any distinctive appearance that you remember? How did you know I, I, they were Buddhas, or did you just know it? Oh no, it was no, it was very distinctive. I, if you've seen Tibetan artwork, where um, you know, I, I I don't have the terminology to even describe it, but okay, um, no, I know what you're talking about, but it's a little, okay. uh, it's a little, not, uh, I guess the Buddhas in that art in those pieces of art don't really always look a hundred percent human. That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, God. Ah. I was about to say that. I was about to say that. Some of them, some of them, again, but but realize it's like, it's like if you, if you, for example, if you looked at just a physical piece of Tibetan artwork and, um, oh, wow, the moon is up and um, a plane is flying by. But anyway, if you were looking at one of those physical pieces of Tibetan artwork, it would like if you really look closely, you would realize that not all those, not all of those, they're not all faces even. They're not definitely not all recognizable faces. And this was like that, but it was like such a multitude. If you if you can put all that and airbrush it just a little bit so it's softer and it's floating on somewhere between a violet and pink cloud. <laughs> Don't ask me why the color, but like some violet and uh, violet <laughs> pink <laughs> cloud <laughs> and and that's sort of just like sitting out in front of you sitting out in front of you it's just like on superimposed on the landscape sort of like you know what a holographic uh, virtual reality would do like I can superimpose this reality on I just knew it was I knew it was another dimension I just realized that I just it just came to me I realized it was another dimension that it was sitting there right in front of me, but it was spread out and there were so many faces, right? So many faces, like there was never, there was never, even if it were five minutes, I couldn't have possibly absorbed. Some of the faces were very dark. Some, there, there was, some of the faces were very plain, but I just, I just, it all just seemed to be there for me. <laughs> Is that what I looked at? I was like, okay, 
<laughs> this is for me. So <clears throat> that, that, that was the, that was the feeling, I guess, more than anything else that kind of came with it. It's like, this is Tibetan in some nature. I don't understand it. And I'm seeing it in front of me and it's there for me. And, um, and I accept, <laughs> you have to be willing. <laughs> and okay at the time were you on any kind of psychedelics at all no no i was i was about to say i mean um no nothing that would give me <laughs> okay Not no really I, I, I i i i haven't i i really it's like i'm so squeaky clean hater it's almost embarrassing to say and um and i <laughs> fancy myself <laughs> i fancy myself um uh, like a like a pioneer for psychedelics for the treatment of depression, PTSD, OCD, all of that kind of stuff. I really, but I, but I'm I'm mostly inexperienced in that regard. Other other than go back a lot of years, I'm mostly inexperienced in that regard. But no, I it was not. I would wouldn't be anything I'd even have access to. <laughs> well, although well, we'll have to I, change that, Doctor Friesen. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just well, kidding. I know. I, I totally think. Well, here's the thing, right? I do totally think there's a place for I do totally think there's a place for that. And I I, uh, I think it's in so many ways safer than what's going on in conventional treatment. But I, that that may sound radical for people, but it just makes perfect sense to me. But no, I, I didn't have access to anything like that. Um, and, okay. and in some ways, and in some ways, you know, in some, in, in many ways, it can be totally unnecessary. But if it if it becomes a doorway for somebody, I'm all for it. Open that door. <laughs> no, I think I think it's great that people can hear about vivid uh, experiences that occur. Um, sorry, I'm too excited. No Honestly, I'm <laughs> I'm so happy we talked about this because all of my most vivid and tangible experiences with anything extra physical or this weird, as you say, the nebulous part of the brain. <laughs> uh, the important part. <laughs> yes, the, the important part. They've all been when I'm completely just having, not, not expecting it to show up. Mm. And... And I think Those that, are the best. yes, and I, I think it's important for people to know that you can have, like, it will show up if you just wait, like, do you, there is no correct setting, there is no specific kind of TV you need, or a specific kind of room, if you just wait long enough and in the right way. And when I say wait, I don't mean, like, sit and do nothing. I guess wait yeah, in no. the way that you were waiting. By... Yeah, I th yeah, it's an earnest look it, that I know you recognize this. It's like it's it's this infinite, always ongoing search for some answer for for some <laughs> open my eyes kind of thing. It's like that doesn't have to be that doesn't have to be on your lips constantly. But if it's if it's center most in your mind. It's like it is like a TV signal in the sense that you're projecting that message out over and over again. I have a little thing. I'm not going to say it out loud because it ruins it. But I have a little thing that I do when I'm chanting. And it's like and I literally am superimposing on this chant, this idea that I, I'm, I want this, not not want, not a material want. None of these are material. I just, there's nothing I want materially. <laughs> don't give me anything. I don't want it. 
it's like there's nothing I want materially, but just this this kind of earnest cry for understanding, for knowledge and compassion. Explode my heart with compassion. I could use some more, 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 more. And that's a constant ongoing signal. And I believe they're answered. And I believe they're those that signal if you're open, if you're just simply willing, <laughs> if you're just willing, the answer the answers come. It's just we never take the time or when we do it's for a little bit and then we tire of it and we move on because oh well that didn't work <laughs> right but sometimes it's just this benevolent grace that falls out of nowhere that's what it sounds like what's what happened to you hater it's like sometimes this just thing this thing just shows up in your life and then it's demanding that you do something with it like where do you put it right tell me about that by the way what what, what happened and where were you and what were you doing um, if you want to, if you no, want to, I'm, I'm happy to share it. I, um, well, according to the doctor, it was a vasovagal reaction. <laughs> um, oh, so. interesting, by the way, already interesting neurophysiologically. I'm just, I'm just saying, keep going. Okay. And, uh, so I had to do a fasted blood test. Uh, I believe it may have been like a cortisol related one. And it was in the morning. And it was also a fasted insulin test because I was falling asleep. So they thought maybe there was like blood sugar stuff, of course, whatever, any health issue they could assume I had, they assumed. Right. But, uh, so I went to the blood test and I was pretty nervous about it because I felt like I hadn't like eaten anything and I just felt weird. I felt suspicious of my own body. And I went into the blood test and it was the same office I'd always gone to. And I asked the lady... I said, do people ever pass out during these? And she said, oh, it happens all the time. And as soon as she stuck it in and like on maybe the like the last vial of blood, not as soon as she stuck it in, but after a few vials, I just remember like, I was like, oh, here, I guess I'm going. And then I remember just laying my head down and then waking up like maybe one or two seconds later as I perceived but after I laid my head down, I seemingly woke up somewhere else. And uh, it was uh, like a, a brightly lit room that was so brightly lit that it appeared to be white. But I would say that there was, there was definitely just light, a lot of light. And I was pretty, I thought it was the doctor's office still. So I was like, oh, weird. What is the doctor holding up in front of me? And there was like this tablet kind of thing, like an iPad. Yeah. I don't know why. I was like, oh, the doctor must be holding up an iPad. Like it made sense to me. And then the iPad starts flipping through. Well, I just put my hand in front or what I thought was my hand and started swiping through these pictures of my own life that I mm. memories that I had not seen or ever seen pictures of or. I don't know what was happening. And then I guess after I was swiping through these pictures and how strange it was that the doctor, why would the doctor have pictures of my childhood and my family and everyone <laughs> I've ever known? Uh, I got like nervous and then I look around, but then I realized that I couldn't look around because the, the thing that was holding the tablet was so big that wherever I would look, I would see the thing. 
and the thing mm. was the room. So wow. the bright thing was seemingly the room. Uh, I so I left the place with this crazy fear of whatever that being was, and the fear was, I guess, not necessarily like a bad fear, but like a like awe based fear of mm-hmm. why it has a tablet with my entire life on it. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I uh, I woke up and they're like, oh, that was like seven seconds. Are you okay? But the whole experience in my head lasted for probably like three to four minutes at least of looking through the wow. pictures and wow. this whole wow. strange giant thing. So I don't know. Wow. So so was that something you were able to recall? Like did they say, did, they, did, did you mention it to anybody there or is that something you just recalled when you had a moment by yourself to, no, to I, think about it? No, I said it like, I, as I woke up, how long was I gone for? They're like, oh, you were just for like mm-hmm. seven seconds. And I was like, whoa, that, there's what? And then my, right. uh, my ex who was with me at the time, I was like, oh, that was crazy. Something happened. And then the person, the phlebotomist says, oh, yeah, people see stuff all the time. Don't don't worry about it. Hmm. And I, I was like saying it out loud. And they're like, yeah, people see the craziest things. And hmm. I was like, OK, I guess. I guess this is. So, the- I mean, I mean, I, I know. I mean, I've, I know that happens. I mean, we have drawn blood and from people in our office for years and and people have this vasovagal response i've never had anybody wake up though and tell me that that i I don't remember anybody waking up and saying oh yeah i saw this that the other thing um (laughs) yeah or the or the time just or the time distortion like that's that's a pretty incredible uh time seven seconds and and yet you have that like that's not yes that's not enough time to fall asleep and make a dream even kind of yeah it, it was interesting it changed my and it was in, because till that time i hadn't really partake i i had even only done meditation to the point where i wasn't really having any out-of-body experience or any extra physical benefit it was purely just like the like um i was doing it with my a physiotherapist after back surgery to improve vagal tone, things like that. Like the motivation was completely biological as opposed to seeking something else. And then through having my blood drawn, I see this other place and I'm like, (laughs) Oh, I guess there is another place. And then through from that point onward, every other experience I've had has been some type of, I look at it as a confirmation because whenever I'm in the other space or the place where the place where you, I think saw the, the Buddhas in the field, the other places all, it feels the same while there are yeah. differences in detail. I can tell like, like if you're in, in England and you're in different towns, you're still aware that you're in England, I guess that's a strange yeah. analogy, but I think, I think that's, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I'm here again. And every time I'm there again, it's a miracle to me that it exists because I'm like, oh, this is that exact same place. It's not like a moving, constantly variable construct of my imagination. It's like a another overlapping, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say reality, but some type of base that exists 
that seemingly may be more constant than our base reality? Oh, for sure. I mean, there is a commonality. It's that it's that unity, connectedness, the the ability, the very fact that it distorts time to that extent means it has to be it has to be a different place. You know, I, I think think about think about this too. Just the fact that you've had your spinal cord manipulated. There there are there are documented cases of accidental kundalini too, where things energy energies are released that <laughs> the vessel oh my God. may not be prepared for. <laughs> Sorry, there's something I have to tell you that I have ne- I can't believe I haven't told you this, and you're about to probably <laughs> just like go crazy. You're about to tell me some. <laughs> So the year before I had my back surgery, I was also in, a, I'll use like very specific words to describe it, a problematic relationship, problematic on both ends, a lot of drama, elevation in moods, arguments, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would shock people like static shock. Hmm. I would shock everyone all the time. It, it, it was like a known, it was a joke about me. Wow. Like it was like, a, we assumed that it was because I was dragging my feet when I walked or we were always trying to figure out, oh, you wear vans all the time. Your house has a carpet. Um, there was always a different reason we were trying to find about why <laughs> I kept doing that. Then I went to the doctor's office and not, to a a lab to have some imaging done and not once but two times on the time that i got in an mri machine the machine completely fails and it causes a huge Mm. issue for the clinic like to the point where like i have to be involved in the documentation to say that i was in the machine when it shut down that that's interesting if i can interrupt this for a second no go go ahead i I, th- I think I told you, I mean, I ordered an MRI myself. Actually, it's an MRI that's <clears throat> specific for the pancreas. Um, and the machine broke down while I was in there. What? And I, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Are you joking? What, when did this happen? Like recent? This is after you got the no, diagnosis, this, right? This, this was May. Um, so it would be like a year ago this past May. So yeah, that's pretty many- recent. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's it's just in the context of all of this stuff that I'm telling you about. And actually, I was like, at that point in time, I I was, I was, you know, it was, it was a light body that I was living in at that point. There's no question about it, which is why when I, when I, three days later, they gave me the diagnosis of all these cancers. I simply didn't, I just didn't buy it. I just didn't believe it. But anyway, um, yeah, the machine broke. So anyway, go ahead. ahead. (laughs) No, no, no. Wait, (laughs) what does that even it's so cre- I don't I've I don't even know what to say because I think that like when it happened the first time I th- I thought okay this is just part of my like I was quite pessimistic at the time I was like it's part of the whole bad luck thing then when it yeah. happened a second time the crazy thing is that both times Xander was with me and he was very young, mm. but it's a lasting memory in his mind that we would go to MRI places and wait for two hours. I would go in the machine and then I'd come right out and say, oh, I broke the machine. <laughs> and he actually tells the story. So it's crazy mm-hmm. that it's like a twice 
it's it's weird. I don't know what it means, but and you know, and and I and I I don't know what it means either. I've spent, um, I mean, I can hazard a guess, but like I've ordered a lot of MRI tests, and like I, I can probably. I can maybe think of two occasions where I got a report that said, you know, there was a problem with the machine. Like, I mean, hundreds of MRIs in all different parts of the brain and body and nothing ever happened. Nothing ever happened. Like hundreds and hundreds of patients. So it's not like it's a thing that just sort of randomly occurs, but, but twice is like beyond, beyond. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anymore. But all that stuff, the elect, the electrical con conductivity stopped right after the back surgery completely like 100 wow. percent. it did not happen a single time again wow and it shocks wow. me because like it, it translated to things like going to parks even like i'd slide down a slide and i'd be like electrically charged wow yeah i mean the spinal cord i mean this is now ancient knowledge basically is that you know, the, the spinal cord, it's like a dipole. There's a the positive field. If I have this right, somebody can correct me. But if the positive pole is kind of at the base of the spine behind you, behind your head, like if you put your hand back there now, that's the positive pole. The negative pole is where the the base of the spine, the sacrum, muladhara, that particular chakra, and it works its way up. And that dipole is what creates the tension between, that allows this energy to circulate, to move for Kundalini to coil around the spinal cord and re meet Vishnu at the top of the dipole. And that unity is what cracks open the crown chakra and all of a sudden everything makes sense again kind of thing. That's that, that's that inherent tension, right? I mean, that's what's going on there. That's, this is just, this is just yoga, man. This is just like how things, their understanding of it, which, um, which I have no, I have absolutely no reason to question whatsoever. So there's energy that's generated. There's this dipole. There's this, this potential for energy to, to move. Like if you have a magnet and, and you have iron filings, they move across the table onto the magnet. There's energy, invisible energy pulling it there. There's, I don't have any reason to believe that's not otherwise. And of course, our nervous system is basically an electrical conduit that's insulated with myelin sheaths and energy jumps from these nodes of Ranveer, nodes of Ranveer from one thing to the next. And that's how, that's how messages are communicated. You can prick your finger and you feel it instantly in your brain, right? It's like, there's no distance. There's no distance. So I don't have any, I don't have any doubt that um, for whatever reason, energy can be generated and that energy can show up in your outer environment, which it clearly was in your case. <laughs> yeah, I don't was. even, I was at the point where I was thinking of like bringing in an exorcist because there were, <laughs> there were things you're getting, being, you're getting close. You're getting close. I, Maybe a shaman. <laughs> yeah. Well, a shaman <laughs> we, we didn't even at the same time that this was all happening. I was also living in a house that was a very nice house, but there were some very off things going on in terms of like, mm. strange things moving around and shadows and such, including wow. Xander drawing creepy pictures of things he sees in the hallway. So we were like, okay, at this point, the <laughs> best to change location. Yes. <laughs> hallway sightings. That's my limit. That's my, that's where I draw the line. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I um, 
I think today has been this was not this is not the podcast I expected, but I think it's almost time for your <laughs> yoga. Yeah, it's yoga time. <laughs> so how do you I guess to end how are you going like let's after and again I know I always sometimes like zoom into the micro performance of your life but (laughs) are there any records of how you thought when you were 27 exactly like this um what do you mean records I mean is there any kind of audio recording did you make any kind of videos at the time were you expressing yourself in any way on a personal level um no so then i feel like not that wasn't just to prove my point but i feel like just (laughs) it's it's important for us to zoom in sometimes so that 70 years from now the small details will be known about Mm -hmm. how after you put the phone down or how after i stop using eight dollar headphones then we go on to do (laughs) other things that are potentially like considered spiritual meditative or specialized i guess in a way yeah i'm going to um i'm going to take the electric static charge out of my head that's being generated from my left and right airpod <laughs> and the tiny mag i'm going to put them away and um wow I, I mean i really i wish you could see this but like there's a little there's some clouds but where, where i'm sitting on my yoga deck is uh the moon is up it's behind some clouds right now it's just insanely bright it is insanely bright and i'm going to sit um i'm going to do some preparatory asanas i'm just going to move my body around for two or three different moves and i'm going to sit with my back to the moon and i'm going to do something called sukha kriya which is slow kind of rhythmic pranayamic breathing and um and i'm going to I'm going to bring these images to mind that we were talking about today. I'm going to revisit them because you got me excited about something that happened to me. I'm just going to look at them again from a different perspective and uh, sink really deep into that deepest kind of meditative state and just let it happen. That's what I'm going to do. It is, it is the perfect, speaking of energy, it is like, it is so, this moon, just like whenever there's a full moon, but this particular moon, by the way, tomorrow is an auspicious day <laughs> for some people in yoga, just just saying. But there's something very specific what, about the energy. What is the moon. day? What is the day tomorrow? Uh, it's a day. De- it's a day dedicated to Shiva. It's be- I don't I don't even I don't even know all the proper Sanskrit terms, but I know it's an auspicious day that's dedicated to Shiva and it's falling on. Gosh, it might be. What is today? Sunday. It might be Tuesday. <laughs> I might be a day off. But look, the energy that's moving with this moon right now is incredible. There's something to it. And, and I, you know, for some people it's unsettling. For me, it is, it is most, in, I was up this morning at 3.30 out here. And the moon, I think I told you that, the moon was in conjunction with Jupiter. And, um, and this was before sunrise. Yeah, that was this morning. There's just something about it. It's really energizing. And if you're in sync with it, it is nicely energizing and super creative. And um, just there's a certain lightness about it as well. If you're not, then it brings a lot of people emotional instability. They feel unsettled inside. And because they're not quite in sync with the way this biological world is working around them. But I'm going to go and 
I'm going to do a few postures. I'm going to get settled into a seated position. I'm going to try to be there for about an hour and a half. <clears throat> and just, um, just generate this energy. I was chanting this morning. Um, <laughs> no, that was yesterday evening because Renata was taking a walk and, you know, we're like three tenths of a mile from a, from a road and she was walking down this road and I'm up here chanting and she's getting close to like a half a mile away. She can still hear it. <laughs> Not because it's loud, but because it's resonant and it just, and it just carries and it just carries. So I, you know, I wish, I wish I could teach that easily to people, but it's, it's sort of a, it's a skill. It's an acquired skill, but I would encourage anybody. We are basically human resonant machines and we're designed to um, resonate with home. And wow, if you, if you ever get, you know, crazy brave enough to give it a try, it is totally worth it because three alms later, I, I know I'm sitting in uh, partially in another dimension without question. It is a completely different state of awareness that happens with simply chanting Aum about three times. And if you can do it seven times, it's, it's downright magical. And, and it's not the volume, it's not even, it's not the loudness. It's like feeling that vibration that begins at the base and, and works its way up from saying, ah, ooh, ooh. It's just that feeling, that vibration and carrying it. It's just amazing, dude. And I, I mean, I know you've experienced that or something like it. I'm and, about, uh, I was about to ask you, how long do I want the alms to be? So they, so they should be, each, each part is like a third of the entire sound. Uh, oh, that's a short form version, but each part is a third of the entire sound. Mm -hmm. So it's what it's whatever breath you can whatever breath you can bring about but you know it's like it's it's not upper chest breathing it's not mid chest breathing this is this is breathing that has to come from the diaphragm like you're singing so so and women hate this because your belly has to go out in order to be relaxed enough for that to happen but then you let your let your lungs fill up spontaneously and then and then just open your mouth and say ah oh, close it halfway keep your jaw relaxed and say ooh and then put your lips together and say mmm and and whatever whatever you can get out of that and whatever vibration comes forth from it focus on it focus on it that's it's not it's not this audible sound it's the vibration that goes with it and it'll carry from your sacrum all the way up into your head to the top of your head and then you just keep it going you keep repeating the cycle ah each one divided by about a third. Um, and it's incredible. It is the primordial sound. It's like the essence of creation itself. It's intended to be opened and it's intended to be played. It's intended to be communicated. It's just, it's just has to be, <laughs> it's where everything comes from. So yeah, yeah. It's a skill worth cultivating. No question about it. So you're saying I won't open the gates to hell by chanting no okay no you won't just There'll just confirming no... for anyone listening <laughs> you're not no. doing anything bad nothing bad no. will happen. no babies do it naturally and and we're attracted to it naturally like when when i'm out here doing it i have sometimes i end up with a cat in my lap and one sitting <laughs> one one further down on the yoga deck it's like animals animals 
animals are attracted to this. I've had birds kind of jump out of the tree. I have one land on my head the other day. I've had deer walk up within about 10 or 12 feet of me. And it's like, and I'm making noise. I've had deer in my driveway. Like I'm here and I'm making that audible alm. And they're standing there eating persimmons out of a tree in my driveway, completely fearless. Animals love it. Babies are attracted to it and cats sleep to it all the time. So yeah, no, it is the most natural thing in the world. It's just, we're so self-conscious of even opening our mouths that um, it never happens. And I, to be honest, it took me, it took me a bit to get over it. I had to, I had to realize that, yeah, I got to get over myself. if I'm going to be able to chant properly. And wow. Yeah. Am I so, am I ever glad that I did? Am I ever glad that I did? Uh, I too, am glad that you got over yourself. And if I was a bird, (laughs) I would also sit on your head. And I think this is is a good end. And thank you again for giving Uh, these two hours because I know you had other stuff to do or maybe you didn't. uh, I don't know. This is the stuff that I had to do. It's all good. Thank you, my friend. It was it was a, quite a trip. I enjoyed yes. every bit of it. And yeah. uh, thanks for taking me there. And we'll do it again sometime. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye. I'm so excited to upload this. <laughs> All right, upload. <laughs>